how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to episode 378, where I sat down with Harry Bradbeer, the director of Unfellow Holmes, the first and second movies. Also got a writing credit on the second one. Harry tells me about wanting to be an actor and then working with some great directors and kind of taking a left turn into directing. He's also known for other shows like Killing Eve, Ray, and Fleabag. But he finally found something interesting about Jack Thorne's piece. And after he read all the books, he had some ideas for a sequel. In this interview, he talks about writing the second movie along with Jack Thorne, how he got the story by credit, scripts that sent out to him, and some pet peeves that many directors have about modern scripts. Then he gave some advice about breaking into the industry and also the importance of a great elevator pitch. Well, I wanted to be an actor at first. And then I was directed by a very good director at school. And then I worked with some good directors at college as well. And the way they arranged us on the stage made me start to see things in frames and shapes. Mm. And then I directed a play. And then I just took a, suddenly one day, I just took a left turn and decided to try to make a film. And I had all the actors that I knew and I had my camera work. Now, obviously that was all running alongside finding myself watching films. And I sort of films sort of crept up on me and sort of grabbed me by the throat when I wasn't expecting it in the middle of the night. And, uh, you know, watching films from the 70s, American films of the 70s, Chinatown, Midnight Cowboy, French Connection, Exorcist, those four movies just completely obsessed me. And the, the level of reality of cinema at that time made me feel... Uh, very excited about portraying veracity. And it turned me off the theatre, to be honest. I felt I wanted to take a camera out into the street and capture it. I think that was probably what was what there was about Freakin's work in The Exorcist and The French Connection that made me think, I just want to go out there, capture life and bring it home and show it. And uh, so those two things were running in, going concurrently so that when I began, started to become a filmmaker, uh, I think um, there was a kind of union of intention. Did those types of stories, 70s movies, really character-based? Did that kind of lead you towards television? Because it seems like that's more of a television-heavy focus these days. I think that's right, and I think it did. And one of the first producers who really inspired me was a man called Tony Garnett, who had started the the tele the and well, you had your golden age in the fifties and the sixties in, in America, in in our land it began in the sixties and and more of the seventies, um, and they were taking cameras handheld cameras out to the street. He worked with Ken Loach on a film called Cares, if you remember that film about the boys' relationship with the Kestrel. Very formative social realist stuff. So I started off working with him on cop shows that were shot like a documentary or legal shows about all kids living in a in, in a flat. And they weren't very bright and shiny. They tended to be quite gritty and real with a handheld camera I shot at a great speed. And I adored it, I have to say. I felt completely in my zone there. So that was my 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 basis. It was about real performance and speed of work. 
I know we'll be talking about the sequel in a, in a second, but how did you kind of first get involved with the first Enola Holmes project? Well, the last thing I expected was to make a family adventure film <laughs> because I had not been doing that. I did Killing Eve, with, which was obviously not exactly aimed at children, and, uh, and Fleabag, Ditto. I'd worked a lot. I'd started to work in comedy. I'd been working in drama. Basically, I'd worked in all the genres. And um, this is what I hadn't done before. And it seemed to me, it's what really struck me was that there was a very compelling central female character that was a tick in the box for me, but also it had something to say. I only want to make something that has something to say. And there was a really subtle, beautiful, simple, but also quite complex little feminist message in the middle of it, of this firebrand bomb-building mother which Helena Bonham Carter was to play, and the influence on her daughter who finds her, her mother's feet of clay and how dangerous she is at the same time in answering her own mystery. It was something very approachable. I knew it would reach a wide audience, but I had like a sneaky, like a Trojan horse, a little message slid in right in the middle of it. And so I found that, I found that irresistible. I think this is a, a book series, but how did you kind of develop your style or look for the movie? Because a lot of TV work, you're usually coming in and matching a style that's already there. Mm. So what what were some of your thoughts about creating a style for this uh, these two movies? Well, I was lucky because I'd set up about six shows. And if you get to set up a TV show, then, you know, it, it's your style that it begins. So I'd had a lot of practice. Um, but... In terms of setting up this, actually, I, when I first went into the meeting, there were three, it was crystal clear. There were three words, and they went up on the wall, eccentricity, energy, and emotion. Mm -hmm. Those were the three key words, which we all kind of kept to. So this odd English, almost an Englishness as well. There was something very English about a, about a, 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 a imposed within a, an American studio film. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, I thought, if I can capture the energy with Steadicam um, and just the speed. I mean, where television helps is you learn that the best direction you give any actor is just let's do it again faster. Hmm. Um, well, when you wanted it to be fast and that had, a, that had a kind of contemporary American feeling to it, but it was set in a bygone time and with it, these English eccentricities and particular details. So I was in love with the details and uh, the period accuracy and a style that just kind of took you by the scruff of your neck and pulled you along. What's kind of been, so you have story credit for, for this sequel. Um, what's kind of been your writing experience over the years? I know obviously there's some writing involved for to be any mm -hmm. director, but what's kind of been your, your background in writing as far as coming up with this story? I, I've been sort of quietly working away at it. Uh, and, and it's, I've had my, I got involved as a lot of directors do working with the writer Mm -hmm. Sometimes I've ended up writing a scene, but you know, not necessarily taking credit. Um, I wrote my first short film, first three short films. Mm -hmm. uh, so you you do it, but you know the, the the thing about most useful thing in terms of directing for a writer is understanding structure and understanding that within a scene you are sort of writing it mm -hmm. that a character walks into a room with some intention. They don't get what they want. There is a moment where they think all is lost. And then they find a new solution and they go through a hole into another little chamber. Mm -hmm. That's what a scene is. And by studying screenwriting and writing screenplays, some of which I have to say, I will never show to anybody and stick in a drawer forever. I learned a lot. Um, and I did actually do, I read the books, mm -hmm. Robert McKee. I, did, I mean, McKee taught me 
enormous amount. I think he taught me most, and I'm only talking to you because you're as creative screenwriting, this is the subject, but the thing that really stayed with me from the key was character is contradiction. Hmm. There's one little chapter in it, one of his, his, the character chapter, where he says that, you know, a a good character and your protagonist isn't just an array of different behaviors. Hmm. It's about a central contradiction within them, an inner struggle. And this allows us to have the cake, our cake and eat. Even when we're directing an actor, an actor's walking in and we'll go, well, I, I, why would I be nice to my father? I hate him. And I go, well, no, because you love him. That's the difficulty. He's, you've had a terrible relationship with him, but you still want his love. Mm-hmm. You still resent, you have, a, and you might be with a mother, whatever. But that in the, comp, in the sense that we've, we see each other two, in two ways at the same time, that was a piece of, writing instruction that I picked up in principle, I should say, mm-hmm. that has helped me in all my directing. So I think directing and studying screenwriting has been hugely important for me as a director to tell me how I do my job. Do you see that also as kind of an additional North Star to the story? It seems like with these movies in particular, Anola wants to live up to the family name. There's constantly love and some uh, competition with her and her brother through these two films. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's life. That's sibling relationships are the most after the parental child relationship. They are the most complex. We we know them so well, mm-hmm. and yet we are in a we're in a little power struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it, that intimacy, you know, bears a kind of bears fruit a, a, a lot of baggage. So, uh, so yes, I think psychological truth of this is, you, you've got to be a bit of a psychologist to be a writer or a director. You've re- it's very useful. I think David Mamet said, you know, the one, one you could do a lot worse as a screenwriter than to uh, read some psychology because mm-hmm. that's how you understand how people really think and because it's complex. Um, so I imagine over the years, you've read hundreds or thousands of screenplays. What are some things that have maybe changed about screenplays you really cling to or really enjoy? Are there are there pet peeves you have about something that makes a screenplay good or bad or things like that? I think normally often in stage directions, uh, there are moments with the detail, but sometimes less is more. I, I, I'd hesitate to be too prescriptive. Mm-hmm. But um, it's true that dialogue is what gets read. Screenplay, you know, stage directions are important. But the less you write, mm. the more it will be written. So what you cut strengthens what remains. Mm-hmm. Be, be economical. So I would say that, and I don't see it so much. I think people actually put less stage direction now than they do. They, if you go on that wonderful website, Cinephilia and Beyond, do you know that website? Mm-hmm. You, you must, it's amazing. They often include the um, the photostats of the scripts from, you know, Chinatown or from Casablanca. Some huge screeds of description. Yeah. I think people had a lot more patience for them then. Nowadays, people want to be, want to get straight in. Um, yeah. I, I, otherwise, I don't know whether there's any, in, in terms of style, I can't think of, um, I think if anything, just the individual viewpoint is something there is always a shortage of. The mm. real fresh, fresh view, the real, you know, you, we have people studying screenplays, reading other screenplays, but somehow you've got to hang on to your own voice and you have nothing but your own voice as a director or a writer. So that's always in short supply. 
How do you um, approach some of your like actors and talking about characters? What were some of the conversations you may have had with like Millie Bobby Brown or Henry Cavill about these two characters? Well, the first thing you do is you ask them about their character mm. and go in and say, well, I see that I see it as this. I see this film as just sit down a cup of coffee and say, so what did you think? What do they think of that? What do you, if, if I'm talking to Millie or with, and I, I, would, I would meet them separately mm. because they, they have private things they want me to tell about their own feelings, which also, which you don't necessarily want the other actor or character to know because we're allowed to have private feelings about each other. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not talking about as people, but as characters. Mm. So there are still surprises. So I would say, so what do they think about that? What do you? And then eventually from there it becomes first person. What do you feel? Well, I think I feel that about, how do you feel about your mother? Do you, do you think, how has it been going recently? Um, what was your first memory? I mean, these are, psych again, psychological questions because that gets them, helps them to do what they're doing anyway, which is take possession of that character. Because you can't set it to do anything more useful than sending an actor onto that floor thinking, I am the person. I am the person in this world to play this part. That confidence, that certainty that I have a position on this. I know where I am. Because you can never know too much about what happened before. You can, though, sometimes know too much about the scene you're about to play. So sometimes it's not good to overly rehearse. I'd spend the time talking about them as a character and asking them to tell me what they think of themselves and the world around them. Mm. Is that also true? Um, do you have any advice about maybe for young writers, young directors entering the business in terms of describing themselves as the perfect person to tell that story? Do you have any, have any advice like that? That's That seems like one of the harder things to get out of a pitch meeting or something like that. Well, I, I wouldn't necessarily take that approach. I think the best way of convincing them that you're the perfect person is by pitching it well. Mm. Practice telling that story to your friends and you can practice telling it to your, I mean, some of your close friends will just want to encourage you or you just do the really scary thing, but you, it's all right, you're, you're safe. You know, go and go to someone that you don't know very well and tell them your story and watch their face and see if they're interested. <laughs> You know, Hitchcock used to just pitch stories to his barber. And he just wanted to know. He would watch, so he would tell the story with the man, and he would watch his face and see if the guy looked bored or not. I remember why I pitched something to a friend of mine who is a great friend, and he just said, just stop, stop, stop. You're just boring me. You're boring me. <laughs> and the, the reason why, because I was telling him the story. He said, what's the spirit of the story? Mm. You know, tell me the spirit of your story. What is it really about? In a, in a sentence and then in a paragraph. Now, the elevator pitch cliche is true in that it's not everything, but if you can't tell something simply, you can't, you don't understand it. Mm. I think Einstein said that. Mm. So you've got, if you put it, if you put it simply, then it's got the nut, the sort of the, the kernel of something that might travel and uh, yeah, practice. Then you'll know, they'll know. But if you say, look, I want to tell a story about, this issue because I faced it myself. I don't think that's going to turn anybody on, to be quite honest. I think it's it's maybe it's it's a it's background work, mm -hmm. and it's maybe worth mentioning, but it's not the key to getting success at mm. pitching stories. You get a lot of great advice already. Do you have any advice for maybe career longevity, like how people and it's such a difficult in, uh, longevity to like have a long career as a filmmaker? <laughs> oh God. <laughs> persistence, um, 
you know, you will get knocks. Hang on to your own voice. Just, you know, you could get into trouble. You could get fired. You could, you could just end up working with the wrong people. Um, but if you follow the integrity of what you think is a, is, is a truthful way to tell your story, mm-hmm. then you will never lose your anchor. That mm-hmm. is your anchor. That's what will keep you going. If you know, it doesn't necessarily have, if you know what you want to say, and it can be something very small, just hang on to your own gut feelings on things. And if you walk into a room and you meet some people and you go, well, this is great. This could make me a lot of money, but I really don't think I trust these people to take my grandmother across the street or me or my dog. Then I would say probably don't work with them because <laughs> we aren't always, we aren't, we aren't meant to work with everybody. You know, you, you, you find your, your tribe, finding your tribe, uh, in in your workplace, and try to hold on to what you hold dear. Don't try to chase. Be aware of the market. Be very aware of your audience. Respect them, mm-hmm. but find your own way of telling a story. And that is practice. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I when you talk about, you know, I've been doing it a while, and it is. Yeah, you you need to um, you need to have a bit of faith, mm-hmm. and uh, and don't expect everything to be rosy because it is a bit tough at times. Hey, thanks for tuning in to the show. So many great lessons on screenwriting there. If you're looking for some more information, though, some more about the craft of writing for television, uh, we have a new chorus called Script Mastermind, where we have 21 of our proven experts telling you how to write for television, how to write a screenplay, how to break in, things like that. Uh, this includes shows of Gordon Levitt, Judd Apatow, also the writers of shows like Handmaid's Tale, Mosquito Coast, Hunters, Solar Opposites, Resident Alien, WandaVision, the list goes on and on. Check that out. Uh, you can get this all right now for $1 at scriptmastermind.com slash television. That is the television screenwriting masterclass. It is at scriptmastermind.com slash television. We'll see you next time with a new episode.